Please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 this morning. Luke chapter 9, looking at verses 37 through 50. Where we learn of how Christ teaches about greatness, defining greatness. Last time we were at, uh, together looking at Luke 9, we were considering Jesus' transfiguration and the glory that he had before the disciples and how they wanted to secure that glory. They wanted everyone to see it. Peter spoke of setting up booths so that people could come upon the mountain to see Jesus in his glory. Glory, that is something that we long for, that we are uh, uh, looking forward to. We've just sung, O Zion, O people of God, praise the Lord your God. His wondrous love confess. He is your glory and your strength. He will your children bless. Greatness, glory, what is it? We want to be known for uh, what we've done. We all want to be great. We're going to talk about that this morning. And Jesus uh, speaks again of the greatness that he has set before them. And it is a greatness that turns things on its head. It is a greatness which comes from service. Jesus' glory, his outward manifestation of his glory disappeared almost as quickly as it came. The abruptness of of this change tells us something about Christ's greatness and what defines greatness. We want to think about that, but let us consider together those verses 37 through 50 from Luke chapter 9. This is the Word of God. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met Jesus Behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great." And John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. So far the reading of God's unholy word. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. 
Dear people of God, we deal with greatness. We struggle with greatness in different ways. We want to be known for greatness. We want to be a great dad, a great mom. We want to be a great basketball player. We want to be known for our great physique. We want to be known for our great skill in this or in that. Even in things where where it isn't about uh, uh, greatness, we make it a competition. It's, it, it's, felt, it's funny, it, at our house, it's the NCAA tournament, right? We all have to fill our brackets out and find out who has the most right teams picked. We're not, we're not responsible for the play of those teams or the outcome of the games, and yet we want to have the most right teams picked in the end. It's a competition. We make it a competition. Greatness. We, we, we want to, to, to be number one. Well, this morning, Jesus turns things on their head in this passage as as it pertains to greatness. They wanted to be known as associated with Jesus. They wanted to be known as Jesus' intimate disciples, those who were great by connection to Jesus. And they wanted him to be great so that people would think a lot of him and would want to do whatever he asked. Jesus turns us on its head as we see this morning, but we're... We're creatures who have been given an exalted position. We want to understand that this morning. First off, the psalmist marvels at that, doesn't he? The psalmist says, You have made man a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowning him with glory and honor, setting him over the works of your hands. Truly, that is an exalted position. God invites man to subdue and fill the earth. He's created man with a mind to investigate, to discover. Man has the ability to study and to invent. Yet as a crown of creation, man is called not to make much of himself, but to make much of God. Our glory, as we just sung, is God, that we know Him, that He is our Father, that, he, that we are connected to Him, that we understand the purpose for which we have been made, to live for Him, not to make much of ourselves, yet that is our natural tendency, isn't it? We, we want to make much of ourselves and worship ourselves. We see that clearly in our culture today. There's a debate about who is the goat today. I, don't even, I didn't even know what in the world that was until re- relatively recently, not just yesterday, but the goat. I always thought that was the guy who, who blew it. It was always the guy who, who kind of messed up in the end, but now goat stands for greatest of all time. Talk about turning things on their head. Who is the greatest of all time? We keep asking it, right? Whatever sport, whatever leader, whatever... Uh, situation in the culture. We have a true problem with worship of man and of ourselves as we get further from God in our culture. Humility seems dead. True, it is true God has made us for greatness, but what is that greatness? What does it consist of? The disciples wanted glory for themselves and for their teacher, but they didn't understand glory. They didn't understand greatness. They didn't understand Jesus' greatness and his glory. They, 
had seen his glory on the mountain, but had not understood the significance of that discussion that Moses and Elijah was having with, with Jesus. You remember from a couple weeks ago, what were they discussing with him? His coming departure, his coming exodus, how he was going to provide deliverance, and how was he going to do that? Through his death, through the laying down of his life. Greatness. What is it? Is it making much of ourselves? Or is it pointing to the one who is great above all? Jesus didn't receive glory on that mountain. He had glory with the Father from the very beginning. He says it in John 17. He isn't given glory. He has glory as the Son of God. His greatness was seen in His total submission to the Father. He would be given a name that was above every name. Why? Because he was willing to submit fully to the Father. We learn much about Jesus. We learn much from him. Look at the disciples' situation with me. They'd experienced a wonderful transformation themselves. Jesus had given them ability, we read in the beginning of chapter 9, to drive out demons and to heal. And they had done so, verse 6 tells us, chapter 9. But Luke records this event that, that when this man had come to them with a son who was demon-possessed and, they had, and he had asked them to drive out the demon, they could not do it. Though they had been able to do it before, I want us to make note of that, though they had been able to do it before, verse 6 tells us they had gone out and done this, they could not do it here. What's going on here? Why not? Well, Luke kind of skims over this. Luke, Luke skips over this. He wants to focus more on uh, 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 this, this matter of, of who Jesus is and, and how he lives his life, living it in complete dependence upon the Father. He doesn't go through the, the, the discussion that happened in between, but Matthew does. So I want us to think about that a, a moment. Luke leaves out the discussion that transpired between Jesus and his disciples after their failure to cast out the demon. Matthew 17, we read about it. In Matthew 17, they're discussing it with Jesus privately, somewhat embarrassed that they didn't, weren't as great as they thought they were. And, and they said, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And he said to them, because of your little faith. Matthew 17, verse 19 to 20. Now, holding that together with what Luke says about the disciples a bit later in Luke chapter 9 where they're discussing their greatness and what the other gospel writers say, it appears the disciples thought that the greatness was, was in them. It was about them. They now could do things and they were the ones that wanted praise for it. They thought the greatness resided in them and they failed to rely on God. You see, though God has called us, though God redeems us, though God causes us to be born again by the work of His Spirit, that we might now start to put sin to death and continually do so into our dying breath, we still depend upon Him. We don't have that greatness in ourselves. It's not inherent in us. Mark writes in his gospel, this same account, the parallel account, that Jesus told them they could not drive out the demon because they had not prayed. I'm summarizing here, but that's, that's what he's getting at. And, 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 and what God is, seems to be teaching us through his word this morning is that 
Though he empowers us by his spirit to put sin to death, though to, to live for him, we yet depend upon him every moment. And it is to his glory when we win over a certain sin or temptation. It's not a testament to our greatness, but rather to his goodness, his power at work in us, Paul says, Ephesians chapter 3. True greatness is this, a recognition that whatever we have, whatever we're able to do, we have received from God, we have been enabled by God to do, and we can only persevere as we walk in Him. When we want to tout our prowess in this field or that field or in this area of knowledge or that skill, we're forgetting something, that whatever we have, whatever it is that we've been able to do is from the Lord. Again, man was given an exalted position from the beginning, crowned with glory and honor. But the most wonderful part of this status, this position, was his relationship to God. He walked with God. He knew and understood where his true glory was. It was in his Creator. It was in the one who had made him and for that purpose to bring glory to God. Pride is a, is a root sin. When, when we want to usurp those in authority over us, we think, I could do a better job. Or, or the, the, the woman not listening to, to the word of God coming and, and taking the fruit. The man then taking the fruit. And what was it? They didn't want to listen to God. And there was this usurping of authority. Pride comes in. tells us that our position or our status is self-created. We've done this. Pride flaunts giftedness. It speaks of greatness. It forms teams that says we're going we're gonna to get the best people together so that we would be the greatest and so that we can win. The dream team. What is the dream team in today's culture? It's the one that's got the best record, not the one that serves... The, the, the cause of whatever it's working for. Pride seeks praise of men. Pride looks for opportunity to show its stuff for the praise of men. No one likes to be reminded that whatever we have is from God and that we depend upon Him every moment. I'm reminded of it weekly, regularly, daily. Just how proud I am when someone will criticize and think, oh, oh, you, and you want to go after that person. You want to go after. But, but when God is subduing pride in our hearts, he will bring something that humbles us and cause us to realize that it is not about us, but about him. And our response very quickly reveals where we think the glory ought to be. No one likes to be reminded that whatever we have is from God and that we depend upon Him. A proud heart hates to be humbled. But failure is often a part of our experience to serve as a check against pride. Think about all the characters in the the Scripture where that's the case. David and Saul, Solomon, 
Paul, all of these characters. What's going on? There's pride. And God says, you are not great in yourself. But in me, you will have all that you need to live for my glory. John MacArthur comments on this passage concerning the disciples. The issue here wasn't that the disciples lacked faith. They had saving faith. They had trusting faith to some degree or they wouldn't have attempted to heal the boy. Their problem here was their faith was in themselves. The ability was God-given. Chapter 9, verse 1 tells us that. And yet they had succumbed to pride, thinking that the greatness was apart from God and they could be, it could be used for personal glory. And Jesus was grieved by their lack of awareness of their own hearts. He says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? His every act was done with an eye to make much of his Father. Greatness is obedient action with an eye for God to be glorified in it. Jesus heals the boy, and then he teaches the disciples right after that, verse uh, 43 into 44. But while they were still marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. Pay close attention to what I'm about to say. Don't miss this. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Does that transition strike you? There's crowds coming around Jesus. There's, they're forming around him. And, and Jesus could have said, yes, I love, I love this, man. The more people, the better. And instead he says, I want to remind you what I've been teaching all along. I have come to serve my Father. It's all about him. Luke, as he did his investigation... We can well imagine as he's pulling his, his, his accounts, his eyewitness accounts together, he wants to communicate what he's heard. And the simple fact that he hears is this. Jesus was all about doing his Father's will and making much of him. He was going to do whatever the Lord called him to do, even if it meant death. And indeed it did. The path of greatness is submission to God. The disciples wanted Jesus to do whatever gathered the crowds and built support. And Jesus kept telling them that greatness is remembering that we've been made with a purpose. Made by the Lord for the Lord. Parents, that's what you have to teach your children. People of God, that's what we teach each other. That's what we tell ourselves. Well, the disciples still had the glory hound mentality. They, Luke tells us just a few verses later, they're still arguing about who would be the greatest. They didn't understand that glory and greatness don't come when we grab for them. God gives glory and he declares who is truly great. The greatest thing he can give to you and to me is a heart for him, a heart that desires to serve, a heart that doesn't seek praise of men, but delights to do the will of the Lord. His great work in us is to lead us to serve others, family and church and community. Our lives are to speak of who God is and what He's done for us in Christ. 
This makes a difference in how we live, how we live patiently, how we live hopefully, how we live joyfully, how we live confidently, and all many more that you could think of. How we live differently in the world is not because we're different in and of ourselves, in our own strength. We're different because God lives in us. And He teaches us. Remember what God said to His Son on the mount, what the Father said to His Son on the mountain. This is My Son, My chosen one. Listen to Him. He was God's chosen deliverer. He would lay down His life as sacrifice for sin as He had already taught them back in verse 22. We're to lay down our lives for others. We're not to be glory hounds sniffing out praise of men. When Jesus prayed in His final hours on earth, troubled as He was by the path He was about to take, He nevertheless set before His disciples what His life was to be all about. Listen to these words in John 12. Now my soul is troubled, Jesus said, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But no, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What I do, what I'm about, is to bring glory to you. I want to live for you. Jesus did not just come to do something for us, though His work accomplished redemption for us. He came to make much of His Father. And we do the same. When we face fear, when we face adversity, we look to the Lord and the world says, how do you cope? How do you get through? How do you face your fears? How do you handle this so confidently? And we say, because our God is great. And does all things well. Because Jesus followed the path of greatness. That is, he was fully obedient to God's will. The way of greatness and glory has been opened to us. He has won for us the crown of glory that will never fade away. He has done this for us. We would want another path. We would want to take a path to our own glory. And the Lord says, you, you aren't glorious apart from me, the creator. Apart from me, the one who redeems. Your greatness is in your relationship with me. Jesus' greatness was this. He did not grab after glory. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 2? He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, setting aside his glory. He was the man who perfectly served the Father, who graciously offers salvation to all who listen to him and trust in him. The disciples they still didn't understand what Jesus was saying, and he knew it. Luke writes, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Verse 47, but Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. He regularly taught his followers the path of service was the path of greatness. God regularly teaches us that. Jesus came to serve. Father, Son, Holy Spirit were united in service. Son of God would come to earth to serve, giving his life as ransom for sinners. All the disciples could think about was who would be the greatest. One commentator makes this rather painful point. 
this argument arose among the same disciples who could not stay awake at a prayer meeting. (laughs) There should have been a bit more humility here than there was. And Jesus knew the minds of his disciples. He set a child before them and said, Receive this child in my name. And whoever does receives me, or whoever does this, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. What's the picture here? Jesus is teaching humility. He's teaching humility. What do you have to do to get to know a child? You have to come down to their level. The rabbis of that day had no time for children. Children were a waste of time. They didn't want to speak to them. They were looking for praise of men. They stood on the street corners and prayed so everyone could hear. They taught so that everyone could see how many disciples they had. And Jesus said they received their reward in full. All that they were going to get, all of the glory that they were going to get had been given in that moment. There is no glory for those, no glory waiting in eternity for those who are proud here on earth. The world will not declare Christians' goats the greatest of all time for their service, but the Lord who takes notice will reward those who work in keeping with faith and humility. And then we come to those last verses. They connect to the previous verses in that they speak of a humility in welcoming others into as co-laborers in kingdom work. Flowing from humility is a delight to see others at the work as we are. We're not about turning others away so that the glory might be all ours. That's how it works on committees. That's how it works in, 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 in life, right? Work together. We delight when we hear of or see others who are at the work of making much of God, even if they don't fly the name, same name tag we do. It was wonderful being at Ligonier Conference uh, just a week ago to see these men on the, on the stage who, who have disagreements about uh, certain teachings in, in the Bible, who don't all fly the same name tag, or wear the same name tag, as it were, but who, who delighted to see God glorified above all else. There they are on stage, making much of Christ, though they drew different conclusions, they draw different conclusions about baptism and elements in worship and psalm singing and hymn singing, that they desired to make much of God. I love the focus and the partnership. Sometimes we're not too excited about what others are doing, but Jesus' words triggered something in John's mind. Verse 49, Jesus, or John says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. It's not clear what troubled the disciples about this particular man. Maybe they thought he was trying trying to make himself great. Jesus responds in an interesting and instructive way. Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. What does this mean? Just a few chapters later, he he says this. Whoever is not with me is against me. But in that context, in chapter 11, verse 23, he's speaking about the work of the devil, the work of Satan. It's a different context. Here Jesus is saying that we ought to not take offense at those who seek to work for Christ in keeping with faith in him and in his power. 
even if they aren't wearing the name tag that we wear. We ought not to be envious of any blessing that God might place upon the work of those who are seeking to make much of him. You can think of other examples of this in Scripture. Joshua comes to Moses, you remember Numbers chapter 11, and says, there are people prophesying in the camp. We need to stop them. And Moses says, oh no. No, I wish more would prophesy. I wish more would serve in this capacity, speaking the truth. We think of Paul when he's in prison in Philippians chapter 1, and there are men who are taking a swipe at him as they're preaching while he sits in prison. And what does he say? I'm, not, I'm thankful for this, that Christ is preached. I want much focus to be put upon Christ. Greatness. Greatness is not defined by the notoriety of one's name. Greatness is authored by God where he uses people to make much of him. Seen in Christ who made much of his Father. And that same mind that was in him should be in us. As Paul says in Philippians 2. Pride is the shirt of the soul, George Swinnick wrote. Put on first and put off last. Very easy for us to become proud. What do you do when people criticize you? What do you do when people get credit for something that you aren't getting credit for? Do you strike back? Do you hold them at a distance? What's going on? Is it pride at work? Are you angry that they don't love you as much as you love you? We're called to have eyes and hearts for God, to make much of Him. We show that when in humility we don't hate our critics, but pray that they might share in the joy that we have in serving the Lord. That's what it's about. Making much of Christ. To be serving others to that end. To point them to the one who said, I am going to be delivered into the hands of men, and I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself, that in me they might have life and have it to the full. Brothers, sisters, we're here to make much of God. Our glory is in God, the one who has promised to make us great in Christ, giving us position over all creation. To Him alone belongs all the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recognize that true greatness is not how much people speak about us. True greatness is seen in the person who speaks much of you. They have been captured by you. They have been filled by your Spirit. Lord, we pray that we would make much of you, that we would see you as our glory, our creator, redeemer, sustainer, the one who provides and protects our shelter, our healer. Lord, grant us that humility and grant us the joy that comes with dependence upon you and the confidence and strength and power that comes as we rest in you, knowing that you will work all things for our good. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.